friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I am so excited that you're with us today. Every week, I invite a girlfriend to join me on the show, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Guys, today's show is brought to you by a new sponsor and one we're very excited to welcome to the happy hour, and that is Audible. They've even given me my very own show link, audible.com slash Jamie Ivy. So check out that link and get a free 30-day trial on any audiobook that you want. Guys, you are listening to episode number 74, and today's guest is Danielle Walker. Danielle is an author of two New York Times bestselling cookbooks, Against All Grain and Meals Made Simple, and she's the voice behind the most popular grain-free blog on the internet, AgainstAllGrain.com. After being diagnosed with an autoimmune disease and suffering for many years, Danielle healed herself through her dietary changes. I was so excited today to talk to Danielle about how she possibly gets her son to eat such a healthy diet. Hello. Plus, I wanted to ask her about the story of losing her daughter a few years ago. You're going to really love our conversation. Um, It's very interesting about food. And then I was very honored to be able to sit and listen to her talk about her daughter um, the way that she did. And I know that you're going to enjoy it as well. Guys, here is my conversation with Danielle Walker. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. In your busy day. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, well, yeah, today's busy. I was well, gonna say, it's, not, it's not too busy, but it is. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you're here. I, um, we met at IF, like, yeah. Uh, yes, I remember backstage. I don't know if you remember it. I didn't want to yep. be like uh, presumptuous or anything, but we met back, met back there. And I have just been loving following you ever since then on all oh, your social media platforms. Thanks. Your new little baby and all yeah. of that. Yeah, he's pretty sweet. So a four-month-old. Yeah, he's almost five, actually. He'll be five months on the 28th. Okay, so how has it been with the new baby? <laughs> you know, it's actually been great. He's really easy, which is awesome. Uh, my first was not as easy. So in which way? Like, uh, he just didn't sleeping? sleep well. Yeah. 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 Sleeping. He had like stomach stuff. I, I feel like that was probably due to what I was eating and I wised up a bit for this one. So I think all around, it's just been a little bit easier of an experience. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Yeah. How many do you have? I have four. Okay. See, I can't complain about two. I'm like, all of the mamas that do it with four are amazing. But you can, though, because I complained with two. I mean, that's what I always (laughs) say. Like, sometimes I find myself getting a little like, oh, they don't know what they're doing because they only have two kids. And then I remember I had two kids and it was hard. Yeah. I think it's hard. Everybody says it's hardest to go from one to two. And then the rest after that is just like a breeze. (laughs) You know, hardest for me was two to three, actually. Oh, okay. But my three was a little abnormal because we brought our daughter home from Haiti and she was 22 months old. Okay, so I yeah, went from hard... like two to then like, oh, here's a two-year-old. Right. Yes. And that's a hard stage as it is. So I think alone. that yeah. added to my transitional hardness. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so my oldest just turned 12. Oh. And I literally, like I I was holding him yesterday, not holding him like a baby, but I was hugging him. And I said, I can't believe I have a 12-year-old. Like I just don't even understand how that happened, that I have a 12-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's crazy. I know. I can't even think about that. I was talking to my son, Asher, who was five yesterday about, um, well, we were talking about driving and he said he wanted to just take Easton, which is my little guy out uh, for by himself 
Um, and I was like, well, who's going to drive you guys? And he's like, well, I will. And I was like, well, you won't be able to right away. But, you know, when you're 16, he'll be 11. And I was like, wow, that's crazy that's to even crazy. think that far. Yeah, that far in advance. <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend, her little boy was celebrating his, like, uh, fifth birthday or something this, this recently. And I was like, man, in five years, like, my, my son's going to be getting out of high school. Yeah. I just, I mean, we have a couple I more, know. but, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah. But so wonderful. So you are an author, a cookbook yes. author. Did you ever in your wildest dreams imagine that your life would be this way? No, not not in the least bit. Um, I thought that I would just be a stay-at-home mom, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but have you always loved cooking? That's my thing. That's my question. Or did it come out of necessity? It came mostly out of necessity. I mean, I cooked. Yeah, I definitely cooked. My grandmother was a huge, I mean, she still is. She's still alive. Cooked for so many people in my family and just always had big gatherings. And so she's Italian, that side of the family. So I definitely learned from that. And then my other grandmother was German. And so she cooked and my mom got some of that. So yeah, you know, I mean, I grew up cooking, but not much more than kind of some standard simple recipes, you know, or casseroles and things like that. Um, and I started kind of loving it in college, like watching cooking shows mm-hmm. and reading some of the magazines and things, but never to the point of creating my own recipes or spending sometimes eight hours a day in the kitchen, which is what I do now. Which, um, let, let me just tell you right here, you people that can create your own recipes, literally, like I put you up with like artists that create the most beautiful <laughs> masterpieces because it's so foreign to me. Like my husband, just the other day, you're going to think this is hilarious because I was like, hey, I'm going to make a roast. And he goes, okay. And I was like, I don't have a recipe. He's like, well, just put a bunch of, you know, just put a bunch of stuff in there. I'm like, well, how much? And he's like, I don't know. Just put a bunch. And he can do that. He'll just come in and he'll look in the fridge and I'll be like, we're dying. We have no food. We have to go out to eat. And then he presents this beautiful meal that I just don't know how y'all do it. Yeah, it is a creative, you know, a creative side. I think I think I consider myself a creative, just like you said, like an artist. So it's a uh, it it takes a lot of practice. I think there were quite a few things when I first started that were fairly inedible. <laughs> that I had this like great idea, you know, in my head that just didn't really play out as well as I thought. And we ate it all still. Um, and I started so many dinners with like, I'm so sorry, but you're eating this because it's expensive and I'm not throwing it away. And that's what I made. So there you yeah. go. Yep. And that's it. And we don't have time to do anything else, but, uh, it's, it's definitely been a process, but yeah, it really was out of necessity. I, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, um, when I was 22 and I did a bunch of the medications and, you know, all sorts of things and it wasn't working. And I, I looked and found that diet could help. And so really it was that I didn't want to feel deprived and eat a bunch of bland food for the rest of my life. And so it kind of was the catalyst of getting me into the kitchen and creating things that were every bit as good as the food that I had to give up. Um, and so that's, that's really where the love came from. And then it continued to be fueled by, you know, knowing that my recipes were helping hundreds of thousands of people and that without them, those recipes, you know, those people might feel deprived and I didn't want anybody to feel deprived. And so that's kind of where the the love of cooking has come from. Okay. So you were diagnosed when you were 22 Mm -hmm. and without me blatantly asking you how old you are, how long ago was that? (laughs) (laughs) I am 30. I've got two weeks left of being 30. So I'll hold on to that. Which Um, was 30 a big deal for you, by the way? No, not at all. It wasn't for me either. I'm kind of an old soul, to be honest. And so 
even in college, my friends were like in their thirties. <laughs> um, and my husband and I just have always kind of had older friends. So I've always kind of wanted to be 30. Like, I feel like when I was 16, I was like, I can't wait till I'm just 30 and I'm out so of high funny. school. And yeah. So no, it was not a big deal at all for me, honestly. You know, it was a bigger deal for me, Danielle, than 30 was 36. Oh, cause it's like you're past Cause that. you're past it. It's like, yeah. you're no mm-hmm. longer like, Oh, I'm like this young hip mid 30 mom. <laughs> now I'm like, yeah. I'm two and a half years away from 40 and I don't care. I don't care. Like it doesn't bother me, but it just has a different tone. Like, I don't know what it was. No. Yeah. 30, you know, yeah. I was newly pregnant with my son when I turned 30, like a month, a month pregnant or two months or however long it was. And, um, and there's just a lot going on with my business and my family and home life. And so it was kind of an exciting year, actually. It was like a turning of a page for me that I was excited about. I was ready to kind of leave my 20s in the past because my 20s were kind of difficult. <laughs> so I was excited. I'm like, 30, 30 means it's a new, you know, a new decade. It's a we're going to. decade. There's so yeah. much ahead of you. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay. So you were diagnosed at 22 mm-hmm. and then you thought, I don't want to eat all this food, you know, and so not all this bad food, but you just like your options were probably limited. And so you're like, Hey, I want to make pumpkin bread that I can eat. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I found, I mean, very, very long story short over a few years, started researching it on my own and kind of took matters into my own hands to be quite honest, because all of my doctors were telling me that diet couldn't cure, cause, prevent um, any of it. And so when I started finding online that there were people that had used it, you know, it was mostly just testimonials and things online, no actual studies. Um, And so I started just digging in and found out that I really had to go paleo, which most people are kind of familiar with. Back then, that was like an unheard of word. Word. Yeah, um, I, mean, I would say I would just become familiar with that word in the past like three or four years. Yeah, exactly. So it was very new. I mean, even gluten free at that time was still on um, kind of, you know, just starting to become a little bit more prevalent and people were just starting to become more aware of celiac. And so it was definitely kind of a scary time of just not really understanding and trying to learn the ins and outs of food. I mean, I just until then had just enjoyed food, you know, right. it was like, put in front of me. I was like, I ate it. I didn't really care necessarily where it came from or what it was made with. And, um, and so it was like learning how to read labels and going out to dinner and understanding that there could potentially be gluten in the salad dressing or in the soy sauce, you know, like all those little hidden things. Um, so it really was a time of transition of just becoming kind of my own advocate and having to really pay attention to what I was eating because I noticed such a huge different difference. Um, and so essentially, in a nutshell, I had to cut out grains, dairy, beans, and anything processed. So, Which is that it, basically what paleo is? Yeah, that's, okay. like, that's pretty much exactly what paleo is. Um, and at that time, again, it was like I didn't do it because it was paleo. I did right. a whole series of kind of elimination diet, and that's just pretty much what it ended up looking like was paleo. And so – from there, it just kind of started, you know, growing. And now there's obviously a ton of books and blogs and people out there that are doing it. And it's just continually amazes me, honestly, how many people are being helped um, with it, which that's That's my out- question that I have for you as well. So my mom has had celiac for like 25 years. Mm-hmm. She's had it forever. And so she's been this gluten-free lifestyle for a long time. Yeah. But just recently, I would say within the past, like probably like six years has her options have opened and oh, she yeah. loves to come visit us in Austin because nearly every restaurant in Austin oh, has gosh, like a yes. gluten-free men- menu. It's amazing. It's amazing for gluten-free and paleo. It's like, yes. it's incredible. I can't wait to get back there for if to like go and explore more. Are you cause... coming this year? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yay. I'll see you again. Yeah. Yep, I'll be there. And when this airs, actually it'll be like in two days. So there you go. 
Yeah. Um, but my question for you is, do you feel this pressure, not pressure, because a lot of people would maybe like try what you're doing. Do you feel this pressure to like help people or do, have you taken that off yourself? It, I, I would, <laughs> it's been a struggle, honestly, because when I first started my social media sites like Facebook, mostly, I just had no idea how big it would grow and, and all the other ones now. And yeah, I do because, you know, I mean, I remember being kind of desperate and reaching out and emailing to different people that I found online just to try to, you know, first of all, just hear you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and to also hear, yes, you can enjoy food and, to, and then all the little nuances of just like, what did you do and how did you do it? And you know, how long did it take? And so I just, I get thousands of emails and, you know, thousands and thousands of comments daily. Um, and for a while, it was a huge stressor for me. And I'd be up like late at night after my, my oldest would go to bed and be sitting on the couch, just answering emails and questions for hours on end. And it was too much for me. And autoimmune disease can actually really be fueled by the flare. Yes. By stress. And so it was one of those things where I really had to take a step back and just be like, I cannot save the world. So that's mm-hmm. not my, that's not my doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I can't, you know, be there to answer every single question. And, but what I can do is I can put out as much material as possible on my blog and through my books that people can try to reference and go back to. And, you know, so I don't run like a practice where I can visit with people one-on-one and right. get, tailored advice, you know, as much as I would love to. Um, and so, yeah, it is, it is a little bit of a kind of stress point for me, but at the same time, it's so rewarding to hear people's stories. You know, I mean, I just posted something today again about diet and just to go through quickly, I haven't had a chance to really read them, but to go through and read just the hundreds of comments of people that are, you know, finding health, all different, different ailments, you know, not nearly just what I have. Um, and it's just so encouraging and it's so, you know, I mean, it just keeps me doing what I'm doing. So Daniel, why do you think there's such this gap between the medical community and this or is there, or am I just reading into that? No, there totally is. Although it's getting better, honestly, and it depends where you live. You know, I mean, I think definitely in the Midwest and Southern Southern states here in the U.S., I think it's it's a little bit lagging, but um, it's starting to get there. I think there's such a hesitance for some reason to look into diet, which I don't get. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there's all the conspiracies, <laughs> right? Into them, but because um, that'll spark huge debates. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, I saw probably six or seven different specialists in the Bay Area of top top doctors. You know, at some of the teaching hospitals and none of them will, will, they'll, they won't suggest it. Um, it's getting better. I've heard lately that the Cedar sinai hospital down in LA, which, you know, is like one of the mm-hmm. leading kind of teaching hospitals. Um, they're starting to recommend my book, which is incredible. Some of the gastroenterologists, so specifically the doctors, you know, that deal with the intestine, but, um, it's getting better and I'm hearing it more and more. And that's what I would love to see because ever since I've started this, you know, I did work with a naturopath, but I also still saw my Western doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, and those Western doctors saved my life quite a few times because I had to have multiple blood transfusions. And, you know, I mean, and then there's totally out of the, the, this, my autoimmune disease, but I had C-sections, you know, with my sons. Right. What would have happened if I, if I couldn't have, you know, so I have nothing against the Western, um, 
medical world. And I think that it's incredible and the advances that they've made with surgeries and medications and things like that. But I would love to see them point to diet, at least as a starting point, you know, and it may not help everything, but there's so much I feel like that can be helped. And so much of the disease and the sickness and ailments that are happening in this country are inflammatory related. And, you know, there's so many foods that are inflammatory and there's lots of things that people could be doing to reduce that and to at least just be, you know, kind of a healthier self before all of that happens. So I'm not really sure, you know, that's a long answer for your question. No, I see. Yeah. But I can sense that as well. And my daughter was struggling with some stuff and yeah. And we went, went, it was like all of this crazy stuff that I was like, this seems crazy, but I'm going to do what you say. Like, this is amazing. Um, but this is weird. Like I I would leave every appointment and text my husband, like, you're not going to believe what just happened. It was the weirdest thing ever, but this is amazing. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, but I think it takes some embracing because we're so used to the medical and the Western, the way that we do stuff. To then walk into an office of like a natural path doctor and just yeah. be like, okay, like this is hard for me to understand, but yes, I'm listening definitely. because I see that this is working. So that's very difficult. Yeah, no, it is. And it's a lot to take in and it's a lot to learn. And, you know, I think especially if you're dealing with some sort of a sickness to yeah. have to do a huge overhaul in your lifestyle at the same time of dealing with this sickness is yeah pretty overwhelming, you know? So I think that that has something to do with it too. But yeah, I think I hear so frequently that it's just that there's no, you know, studies and who, you know, there may not be the funds to perform those studies, but I have seen it over and over and over again, just how many people have been helped. And so, you know, my testimony and everybody's that has shared theirs with me is enough for me. So for now, you know, I think eventually we'll get there, but for sure. So what was one of the first things that you remember making that like you were so sad you couldn't eat and then you found out that you could do it? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I would say probably my chocolate chip cookies, which are like oh. the most popular recipe from my blog, which then they went into my book because they were so popular. But I remember kind of like doing a happy dance in the kitchen when I got it. And we free, well, it's been a little less lately, but we used to have a lot of high school and college kids into our home a couple times a week and they would eat, you know, anything that you put in front of them. Um, and so when I served the cookies and I didn't tell them, you know, that these Uh were grain free and they all just like devoured them and were like, these are amazing. I was like, yes, I did it. (laughs) Yay. Uh, Yeah. they, They flew under the radar. So that was probably the first thing that I was pretty excited about. Is and there then, something that you're still trying to do that you haven't mastered yet? Ooh, um, is there something? Uh, there's a few things that are just I have just left because they think they're just better just left behind. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think trying to make a grain-free pasta is it's, hard. Yeah, so we just do we do you know zucchini noodles or spaghetti squash, and honestly, it's healthier anyways. So I feel like there's no point in really trying to like recreate that because it's just not going to have that exact same texture. You're right, and, it doesn't. Um, no, it doesn't. And somebody was also asking me about pizza crust the other day, and they were like, "I've tried every you know gluten free, grain free pizza crust, and I just can't find one that I love." And I was like, "That's one that I I will make it sometimes, but for the for the most part, I've just kind of let it go because without the yeast and you know." combining with the gluten and the way that it makes everything so doughy and where you can pull it apart. And it's just not that same 
texture that I remember. So I'm kind of almost would just prefer to leave it behind. It's almost <laughs> like there's some things that you just have to accept that it's not going to taste like what yes. you want it to. Like we go eat. There's a, one of my favorite pl- pizza places here. It's called Via 313. If you can get uh-huh. there while you're here. Because they okay. do gluten and dairy free. Okay. But they're really some of the most amazing pizzas. And we always get one gluten free. And it is actually really, really good. Yeah. But you just have to go into it like I'm not eating bread. Like right. I'm not eating what I would have normally remembered eating. So totally. yeah. No, it's yeah. I mean, it's very similar to a lot of the stuff. I've been doing it now for so long that I don't necessarily miss it. You yeah. know, like the dairy free ice cream and stuff that I make at home. It's it's now just become part of our standard diet. So yeah. I don't compare it anymore. But yes, it is a definitely a bit of of a shift. And and there's even, you know, I mean, I've had some of the gluten-free crusts out as well, and those are pretty good. But the difference is a lot of those have quite a few things in it that I also cannot eat. Um, if So I'm completely grain-free. So there you go. there's kind of a difference, you know, I mean, yeah, the gluten-free stuff can have, it can have cornstarch in it and potato starch. For and a sure, lot of times yeah. they use gums and other things to kind of, you know, bind them. And so, yeah, they've got a little bit more to play with than I do. <laughs> Would those be considered processed things or is yeah. that... They are. Okay. So, and that's the thing with gluten-free. I mean, I know you're saying your mom is probably excited about all the different products, but I think the common trap that so many people fall into when they first go gluten-free, and I actually did it too, is they run to the grocery store and, you know, anything that's labeled gluten-free, they just grab it because it's like, oh, I can have that. I can have right. that. I remember, I actually remember like the first day when I first went gluten-free before I went grain-free, I went to the store and I got like donuts and pizza and <laughs> you know, I mean, just all the stuff that I normally probably wouldn't have eaten, but because it's like gluten-free, I just felt this kind of sense of comfort. And so I grabbed it all, you know, and um, I think I ended up eating worse than I did before I changed my diet because there are a lot of processed things in a lot of those products. And, you know, I think it is great to have them on, on occasion, but I think that's, that's a lot of the problem is some people that have been diagnosed with celiac or whatnot, you know, they don't necessarily understand what's in it. And right. so they grab it. Um, and some people that have, you know, I, I have a lot of people that follow my blog and have my books that have celiac that didn't find, full healing from just going gluten-free. They had to go grain-free and kind of more on the paleo side because so many of those things in the gluten-free products were causing them problems. Still and, causing them. Mm-hmm. and there's, there's a whole list of what they call like gluten cross react- uh-huh, reactors. And uh-huh. so there's quite a few of those ingredients too, that kind of mimic the same symptoms as the gluten. And, um, and so people are still having some issues with some of those. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's definitely a process and I think I just tell everybody to try to watch their symptoms and really just do what works best for them. You know, if, if you can tolerate certain things, great. And if you can't, then cut them out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So if someone is listening and they're like, okay, I feel like I might have some symptoms, Mm -hmm. maybe I should try this. And we're all going to be honest and say, this is really, really hard. And we selfishly don't want to change anything because we want to eat what we want to eat we want to eat it. Like no one can tell me what to do. Um, what are your, like, what are your like top three tips for someone that's like, Hey, just start slow, see what you can do. Um, this is not as hard as you think. Like, what are some, if you would look at a mom and be like, here's three ways that you can change this right now, just this week and see how it goes. Well, um, I don't say to start slow and you say jump in. I do because it's, there's so many, tell me why. Yeah. There's so many different things that could be causing symptoms. You know, I mean, it depends what kind of symptoms we're talking about, obviously. I mean, everybody deals with all sorts of different things. And 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's really hard when you go in slowly because I think it's a lot harder to commit to it. And, Mm. you know, when you've had a piece of cake on Monday, then trying to commit on Wednesday is a lot harder because that cake is still so fresh on your palate. Um, I think it's better to just give it 30 days. That's kind of what I've always said. It's give it, you know, that, that four weeks, I think that's the best time to kind of fight the cravings that you're going to have. I think it's the good amount of time to really try to gauge if something is improving. I also think that if you're dabbling and you're going in and out, because I did, by the way, and this is why I recommend this, it took me like two years, honestly, to really fully commit. Um, Even after seeing some improvement, I would go back and forth. And if my husband was eating something, I'd be like, oh, I can have it just tonight. tonight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We've all Um, done that, no matter what you're doing, you know. I mean, I had everybody convinced around me that it was okay if I had it just tonight, too. It was like, they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. Uh It's okay, you know, so. Well, my um, thing is I can always find something to celebrate. Yes. Like, oh, we should be so excited. You had such a great day at school. You know, totally. like let's Go celebrate. Yeah. Yes. No, I know. I'm the exact same way. So do you think um, that's why this whole, th- the whole 30 thing no, yeah. works so well for people is because they're really jumping in. They're not taking it slow and yep. they're committing to 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole 30 is, is an amazing program anyways, just that it really teaches you kind of about the crutches that a lot of people have with food and you know, different kind of emotional aspects of it. And so theirs won't even allow my grain-free cookies. So, I mean, this is like 30 days of hardcore paleo. It is hardcore. I did whole 30 last year. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's tough, but, you know, I think it is good. And I think it it really makes you – I mean, even – I'm doing one right now, actually – and it even just really makes you realize a lot of the stuff that you're eating. I mean, I, especially because I'm nursing, it was like, I was just anything oh, yeah. that was in front of me and anything that was quick I was eating. I was eating some of those chocolate chip cookies like four or five a day. <laughs> and, and so it just made me step back and be like, okay, I am not eating enough vegetables in yeah. my daily meals. You know, I am way too much, even though this is better for you baked goods, there's still treats. And, you know, so it was good for me even just to take a step back and really more just focus. And it hasn't been perfect. And I've, you know, had a few things here and there, but just to the, just that I'm looking at it a little bit in more detail of mm-hmm. like, okay, this is what I'm eating during the day. So yeah, I do. I think that that's a helpful thing is just having this commitment, you know, having a timeline of saying, okay, after 30 days, you know, I'll, I'll reevaluate and I'll see kind of if things have worked. Um, I would say the second tip is during that time is to keep a food journal, especially if you really are dealing with some specific symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a really long time to do it, honestly, because I was so overwhelmed and my husband, Ryan just kept saying, keep a food journal, keep a food journal. And I was like, I don't want to, mm-hmm. it's too much, you know? <laughs> um, and I was like, I don't want to be, it's like keeping track of calories. I was like, I don't yeah. want to be right down it's it's stressful and it's overwhelming and it kind of creates anxiety but honestly it was it was really great once I started doing it because if I woke up one morning and my stomach hurt you know or I got a migraine or whatever it was like oh what did I eat last night and I was able to start looking back through it and kind of see this correlation of okay I had this you know this day this day this day and within 12 hours I was having the same symptom type of a thing mm-hmm. um, and so it is a little bit of work but it's it's actually really a great tool um, as simple as it is <laughs> to pinpointing and then because you know some people don't necessarily need to cut out everything so you might cut out grains and dairy for the month but then you may be able to add dairy back in and 
I think the nice thing is when you're having that food journals, you can add kind of one food group back in at a time and really watch. Um, and I say, don't, I say, add something once a week, um, kind of like feeding a newborn, you know, I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm like, I remember doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Because it takes that long sometimes for something to present itself, you know, a symptom wise or, uh, for you just to notice a change. And so the, the thing I think too, with that whole committing to 30 day thing is that it's going to be really hard to track if you're, you know, adding in a bunch of stuff at once, or if you're one day eating this and not eating it the next day, you know, and you're going to just kind of jumble it all together. So I think that's the easiest. And then, yeah, I would say it's really not as difficult as it seems. Um, and it's not as limiting as it sounds, you know, when you go through the list and say what you cut out, it does sound really limiting. But when I, what I normally tell people and is what I can eat, you know, so I can eat grass fed and pasture raised poultry and, and meats, and I can eat vegetables and fruits and seeds and nuts and berries, you know, so I'm like, you really can eat a lot. Um, and especially if you look through my books, you'll find that you really can, you know, still enjoy a lot of, a lot of food. Oh, um, if you just follow you on Instagram, you're like, <laughs> you're eating a lot of amazing stuff. Yeah. I actually think I almost, I think I eat better because it's, I, I focus on it a little bit more yeah. and it's important to me. And I really, you know, try to play with textures and flavors and spices and herbs and just things to make it really exciting. Mm-hmm. And it also forced me to kind of venture out into different cuisines and yeah. try, you know, other food. And so, yeah, I would say don't let it overwhelm you. You know, if you need to start slowly and just kind of have the same few things for the first few weeks, just to make it easy. Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, if you're, if you are going to commit my meals made simple, which is my second cookbook, um, I did eight weeks of meal plans and there's grocery lists in there as well. Oh my gosh. Uh, that's like a, like manna from heaven to moms, <laughs> like a meal plan and a grocery list. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. So, you know, and that's so not the way my brain works, honestly, because I'm the creative type and because I'm constantly thinking of something new in the kitchen, but I really, really sat down and tried really hard to do it and to use, you know, not only to make a meal plan, but to also make it in the way that the things, you know, that will spoil faster are used first and that you're going to be able to use leftover stuff in other meals during the week. Just a, a lot of thought process to it that can be really overwhelming, you know, for people when they're Very first overwhelming, switching. yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that would be a helpful tool too. And there's a, obviously a ton of different apps and websites that do that kind of stuff for you as well. So yeah, I mean, if that's not your specialty and you're not the organized type, and if you find that if you're not organized, you're going to go to the grocery store and buy a bunch of frozen pizzas and yeah. things like that, you know, if that's, cause that's how I am. I'm like, if I go to the store without a plan it is bad news. Oh, I, I just come, start putting everything in the cart Yeah, because we exactly. might need it. Yes, exactly. And everything looks good and you're hungry and it sounds good and you're like, oh, I'm just going to get it all. So that is kind of, that's, that's a lot of tips into one, but um, planning is definitely a huge thing for you as well. I just think it, it really helps to keep you kind of on the track and to not be derailed. (laughs) When I did Whole30 last year, I would say that, um, I hated it, um, (laughs) but it was really great. Like, I think everyone says that, but I did it and I really liked it. And, um, but the one thing that came out of it for me, Danielle, is that a lot of my friends did Whole30 and they just didn't drink coffee because you uh, can't put anything in it. And so they're like, I'm just not doing it. It's not going to do it. Yeah. But I just went like, I guess I just jumped in two feet and just did black coffee, which I've yeah. never drank black coffee before. Yeah, I, my coffee is like, like milky brown, you know, yeah. and I drink black coffee now. It's like you what do. came out of it is that I don't need that 
sugar or cream in there anymore. And so I feel like a grown up when I'm like, oh, it's flat, you know, like I don't need all that stuff. But that's what happened for me is I don't put cream in my coffee anymore. See, it's those little things that you just didn't even realize that you, I think, are just so accustomed to doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was the same for me when I did my first one. It was after I think I created my first book. And then when I started creating new recipes where I would normally add, you know, honey or whatever, it was like, oh, I really don't need that much. Or I can, you know, maybe leave it out completely. And It is. It's interesting just the way that your kind of tastes are refined and and you're more aware, I think, of what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. Do you do all of your recipe uh, experiments in your house or do you have like a test kitchen somewhere? I just recently got a test kitchen, which has been a saving grace. I'm sure. On your family. Yes. I was going to say for my family, (laughs) for myself, for my marriage, my children. It's been incredible. (laughs) Um, And it, yeah, it's been amazing. No. So my first two books I actually wrote in our like 1400 square foot apartment. Well, it was like a townhouse. Um, I wrote them, cooked them in my kitchen and photographed them in my living room. Um, and that was my blog as well. So this, I'm, I'm currently writing my third print cookbook and, uh, it has been like night and day. Of I the bet experience. that is such oh, a it's... change for you. Cause you can almost separate, cause I'm sure you had a hard time, especially because you're doing something that actually could provide something for your family, like a meal. Yeah. Yeah, oh, so yeah. separating work from like, I'm cooking for my family oh. was so hard, I'm sure. Yes, it definitely was. And I still do. I mean, pretty much everything I make, unless it's a massive failure, uh, we still eat. Or if I've done like an entire day of dessert recipe testing, yeah. then, you know, it's not really dinner. But um, I bring it in from from the test kitchen every night. I mean, that's what's what we eat. But um, yeah, it, it was just this big overlapping thing. And especially in my earlier days where I didn't know how to photograph, I would sometimes make my husband wait for dinner for like an hour and a half while I tried to get a good picture of it, which was like this massive point of contention in our marriage. I can imagine. <laughs> um, yeah. He's like, I'm hungry. And then the food's cold and you know, it's, it was terrible. And I'd get so frustrated that I couldn't get a good picture of it. And so I started to wise up. And when my son was napping, I would make dinner and then I would take a picture of it while he was sleeping. And I would just reheat it for dinner because that was like the only way to make things (laughs) to, to, yeah, to save my relationship. Um, but yes, it has been, it has been great. And I'm able to get so much more done. It just was, it was becoming too much and yeah, yeah, too much in the house. So So it's been good. You have a five-year-old. How do do you combat all of the like quote unquote, I'm using air quotes, bad foods, um, with raising kids. So for example, like I feel like, um, we don't eat, drink like sodas. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we're, we don't drink sodas. Yeah. And so it's hard for me when like my kids see other kids drinking sodas or other parents giving their kids sodas. I don't think they're bad parents. We just choose not to do that. How do you help that with your son? (laughs) We're just starting to get into that. Um, Because he's starting to notice. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I mean, thankfully, he has been raised for the most part this way. Um, I was... It was probably when he was about two that I kind of was like, oh, okay, I, if I'm, you know, eating this way, I should probably have him eating this right. way as well. Yeah. Um, and so I shifted him over. And so really, I mean, he knows spaghetti squash and he knows zucchini noodles. Um, occasionally he knows like brown rice. He's, you know, has had brown rice noodles. He's not fully paleo or grain free. He's gluten free. Um, 
but yeah, I, I sent him with different snacks at school and he takes his lunch. And I was worried at first when he started preschool that he would feel kind of left out. Uh-huh. Um, but he actually loved it. He was like, I get, you know, my mom's snacks that, that uh, he's seen me make. And yeah. he kind of felt special about it. And he's funny because he'll turn down pretty much anything that's offered to him at school, which I somewhat feel bad about. But then also I'm like, good for you. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I definitely have noticed recently at birthday parties, because uh-huh. um, we've had quite a few for some kids in his class lately, that he almost was in tears the other day when I was suggesting that he didn't eat the cupcake or the cake because it was a regular, you know, wheat flour uh-huh. one. And, um, and so then when we left, I had a conversation with him in the car and I was like, hey, bud, you know, we, I let him have one because like, he's not nearly as affected as I am. Yeah. Um, and I was like, so you know that, you know, gluten affects mommy's tummy and we've noticed that it can make yours hurt and it makes daddy's hurt. And I understand that you wanted to have that cupcake. Um, so how about, you know, what if we bring you a cupcake to the party next time that's gluten-free? Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, great. Like, he's like, I get to pick my own flavor. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, so he, that, that to him is great. Now, I don't know if that's going to be embarrassing or, you know, make him feel ostracized when he's like nine or 10 and uh-huh. he's trying to like fit in with the cool kids. But as of right now, that's the way we're doing it. Um, so we'll see, you know, I, I think I'm trying to just give him as much kind of information and uh, as much as I can to just have him understand what the kind of food is that we eat and why we don't eat some of the other, you know, junk food. Um, and then hopefully he'll make those decisions himself. And I'm sure he will go, you know, with a friend at some point and he's probably going to totally binge on it all. And hopefully he'll come home and he'll throw up or something. And I can show him. (laughs) My daughter like totally I was like, I'm not going to have – I don't want to stress at this birthday party because birthday parties are like – they're actually my least favorite thing to go to with her because it's such a – I'm just like watching everything she's eating and then she's not having fun and I'm like stressed out and it's just this whole big cycle that I hate. Yeah. And so this one time I was like, you know what? I'm going to let it all go. Like I'm just going to let it go. And she threw up twice that (laughs) night and I was so happy Um, and she – and I wasn't just happy that she threw it, but I was happy that she actually had like a connection in her brain. Yes. Where she was like, I did this and it resulted yeah. in this. And she still remembers that. Now, my 12-year-old told me on Sunday he had seven donuts at church. So I'm failing <laughs> majorly. But we don't ever buy donuts because I'm like, why would you need a donut? It's so, it's, it has no health value to you. Right, right. But the backfire is that when they go to church, yes. they eat seven. Yes. Yeah. So that is, you know, and I'm trying to figure out what I'll do and I'm sure my strategy will change, but that is one thing I have, I thought about is kind of letting them have it on occasion. And that's, you know, when we go out to a movie or whatever, yeah. I'll let them have something. Cause I feel like I, I remember some of my friends growing up that, that were in the households that were like not allowed to have anything. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as they did go over to a friend's house, it was like, yeah, they had like four boxes yeah. of mac and cheese uh-huh. and they, you know, I'm like, <laughs> so I do, I do want to like allow him to at least taste things and, and have them occasionally. And then hopefully he'll make good decisions and you know, we'll see. So that's what we that's can all hope, right? Is yeah. that we like point them in the right way yes. and that when they're not around us, they make good decisions or if they make bad ones then they have consequences right and they're right. puking for days exactly so yeah <laughs> hope for the puke and hope for the puke <laughs> yes All right, guys, before we get back to my conversation with Danielle, I wanted to tell you a little bit about this episode's sponsor, Audible. If you don't know, Audible is an incredible way to read with your ears. 
Look, guys, I'm a mom with four kids. I know a lot of you have kids, too. And if you don't have kids, maybe you have this really high-maintenance dog named Sophie or something. The point is, carving out time for yourself to just read can be very difficult. But it doesn't have to be. Because whether you're contending with your kids or your high-maintenance dog or just a really long commute or sitting at a baseball practice in your car just to get some alone time while your son practices, I might have done that before, Audible is the perfect antidote to help you get your reading fix in. You can choose from Audible's gigantic selection of audiobooks, and right now, the good people at Audible want to give you listeners of the happy hour a free 30-day trial. That's right, guys. 30 days for free. All you guys have to do is go to the link I've set up for you. It is audible.com slash Jamie Ivey. Again, that's audible.com slash Jamie Ivey. Go to that link and start your free trial and harmonize your reading life with your real life. So many of our guests that have been on the happy hour have books over at Audible. Guys, go check it out. Get those books in because you know what I always say, readers are leaders. Okay, anyhow guys, audible.com slash Jamie IV. Okay guys, back to my conversation with Danielle. Um, okay, Danielle, I want to talk to you about something that you and your husband walked through, um, I guess almost two years ago, yeah. a year and a half ago was when, um, your daughter passed away. Yes. So I don't really know a lot of your story. So this is going to be firsthand for me as well, but can you kind of tell me what, what kind of tell me what happened, um, in the summer of 2014? Yeah. So I went to my 20, I was like 21 weeks. So I was a little late, but, um, cause with your second, yeah. <laughs> so you just kind of throw it all out the window. Oh yeah. Um, so just wait, my fourth kid's like, don't even, the tooth fairy doesn't even come anymore. Like it's just gone. <laughs> uh, we get our first tooth fairy visit last night actually. Oh uh, yeah. So yeah. So I, we went to our 22 week, I think I was 22, um, for, you know, that whole big mm-hmm. long appointment where you get everything scanned and found out that she had, um, a, a skeletal dysplasia. So, um, it ended up after having to see quite a few specialists, actually, it was misdiagnosed at first. Um, but she had osteogenesis imperfecta. Um, and so we carried her or I carried her, um, and had you ever, I'm was, sorry, have you, had you ever heard of that before that no, appointment? No, no, never. Um, we went in thinking everything would be fine. You know, I mean, for sure. I mean, everyone yeah. does, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so we, she was diagnosed and obviously, you know, we were faced with, with the decision to terminate the pregnancy or to carry it to term. And at that point, really, there's no way to know whether, um, it can be terminal or, you know, they might be able to survive. And so we, after a long, long, long process chose to carry her and just to see kind of what the Lord would do and hoping obviously the entire time for a miracle. Um, but I gave birth to her early. Um, I think I was, gosh, it's all kind of a blur, but anyhow, um, she lived for about 35 minutes and then passed away, um, in my arms, but in the hospital room. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was confirmed after the fact that she did have type two, which is a fatal, um, case of it that they can't, they can't live outside of the womb. Okay. And that can't be confirmed until birth. Right. Yeah. They can't, they can do lots of different tests. We flew down to LA to see like one of the top specialists in that kind of field, a perinatologist mm-hmm. that really specialized in, in that, um, genetic disease. And she, you know, had a, had a feeling, but they can't, they can't right. confirm it without 
blood tests and then without x-rays essentially, mm-hmm. yeah. um, as far as what we learned. So there's, it's, um, it's called brittle bone disease, which I think most people are more familiar with. Yeah. I have heard of that. Yeah. There's like six types though. The hard part is that there's only one type that's fatal and there are, you know, a lot of people that do live with it, that live full and healthy lives and, you know, that go on to be married and have children. And, um, so it was just this kind of unknown, um, for us and was excruciating. Um, and yeah, so you went to that 22 week appointment. Mm -hmm. Was your husband with you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. He actually, he had a, um, appendicitis like three days before, um, my appointment and he almost didn't come with me because he was still like barely (sighs) able to get out of bed. And he, I was going to have my mom go with me and he ended up dragging himself out of bed, like in his pajamas, barely sure able you're to so stand. For. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. it was, you know, he, he got out of bed for a reason, but it yeah. was, uh, I was yeah, very, very grateful that he was there with me for it. Yeah. So the doctor tells you this news. I mm-hmm. mean, and it's like the most devastating thing that you could hear because mm-hmm. you just go in thinking, I mean, was this like a time when you're going to find out the sex of your baby? Is that what this yeah. appointment? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we actually knew was we went oh, okay. in early because I'm like a total type A. Uh, <laughs> I think we found out at like 14 weeks. Okay, so you knew that you had <laughs> this baby girl, yeah, um, yeah, and this was an ultrasound. And then, can you just tell me like those next, you know, 10 weeks or 12 weeks from when you found that out to when you actually gave birth? Yeah, like what? What were some of the like? Obviously, there's a lot of obvious hard things, but what were some of those like? things that you would, that we can't even imagine that you would have to walk through. Like just the uh, me listening and our listeners, yeah. it's hard to understand the fact that you're, that you're pregnant and you know that one of the highest possibilities is when you birth this baby is that mm-hmm. they will not live. Mm-hmm. Like how do you walk through those 10 weeks with that? Oh. <laughs> um, it was a process for us and it went back and forth. Honestly, I think my initial reaction was to try to disconnect. Um, and it was, I think just kind of that innate, just thing of not wanting to be hurt, obviously. Mm, like like self-protection. Mm-hmm, yeah, and it was just kind of trying not to think about it and, you know, trying not to, yeah, just not connect with her and trying, you know, kind of like purposely not wanting to talk to her and mm-hmm. not wanting to sit and feel her kicks, you know, because it was like the more I get connected, the harder it's going to be. And then as we started to go through that process and kind of, I mean, honestly, weighing out the the pros and cons, if you will, of what our decisions, our decisions were. Um, Mm -hmm. we just were like, okay, you know, we don't know how long we're going to have with her. And so at this point, then the only thing we can do is just enjoy the time that we have. Um, and that was a hard decision, but it was, you know, whether she does get to live on earth with us or she doesn't, at least we want to have some sort of memories of her. And so we packed up the family and we took them to Disneyland, you know, and, um, I would sing worship songs to her every night and, mm. and read and, um, just, yeah, all those things, you know, the things that you can do. Um, yeah. we'd sit and as hard as it was, you know, we'd sit and my husband would feel her kick and, um, we just tried as hard as we could to take in every moment, yeah. um, because we just didn't know, you know, what, what the outcome would be. And my, what I didn't want was to regret you know, mm-hmm. if she did pass right away to regret that I didn't get to experience my pregnancy with her and that I didn't, you know, get to bond with her mm-hmm. because that just felt unfair to her and unfair to me. And I knew that, you know, while 
she would most likely not be here. I couldn't live the rest of my life with regrets because then that would affect how I was as a mother to Asher and Mm -hmm. to any future kids I had. It would affect, you know, what kind of a wife I was if I was constantly living with regrets of, you know, of well, both really about whether or not I connected with her and then also our decision to carry her to term. Mm -hmm. I just knew that I know the kind of person I am. And I knew that it would completely eat at me for the rest of my life if I did live with any regrets. And so I kind of had to just make this commitment of, okay, I need to do everything in my power to not, not have any regrets. And that way I can be present and I cannot be, you know, filled with depression and sadness and wishing that things were different for the rest of my life because that's not fair to the people that are here, you know? So that was kind of, it sounds really easy as I say it now because I am a little farther out and I've done a lot of writing about it for Mm -hmm. my blog and for um, different websites and things like that. And so it's a lot easier to say it now than it it is and that it actually was. Um, Sure. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, that's not just a, I'm not a courageous mm-hmm. person who has all the faith in the world that just says like, I'm going to do this. It was so much, so, so much back and forth. And, and still, honestly, I'm still processing. I mean, uh, one of my, who has become one of my good friends who you know as well is Angie mm-hmm. Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually met because of our daughters. Um, I read her book when I was still pregnant and we Before connected you on- knew or after? After. Okay. After. I, so I, I read her book and like sobbed on the treadmill. I mean, I was the crazy woman (laughs) at the Y sobbing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, it was, um, I announced, we announced my pregnancy to my whole, you know, social media world mm-hmm. because um because that's what you do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because I had a book coming out yeah, at the same a lot time. Of stuff, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean when you don't think anything is gonna happen, it's just a safe thing to do. And so um And your work when, is online a lot. So it's just yes. kinda yeah, it wasn't it's odd. It's just kind of my whole life yeah. is, you know. Um and so when we found out that she was diagnosed with this, we kind of went back and forth and we're like, okay, do we say something? Do we just wait until we find out what happens? And then we just do a post of like, you know, she passed away and there's no answers Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there's going to be a lot of questions. And so we chose to just bring in my community, um, and just let them know that she was diagnosed and that we had chosen to carry her. And, um, through that, you know, I got this incredible outpouring of support and obviously some, some criticism of well, as well, because what's the internet without criticism? Um, surely. Yeah. But, uh, just so, so, so many, um, people writing in and telling me of their experiences and, you know, just all sorts of things. And one of the things that I had so many people recommend her book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was not familiar with her or taught at the point at that point. And so I read it and yes, sobbed. And, you know, when you're saying, are you what, glad that you read that? In the, I, I am. Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. It was the, one of the hardest things in the world to read. And, and actually now that we've become such close friends and we talk more about our stories in depth with each other than really is out there for mm-hmm. the public. Um, sure. there are so many similarities to our stories, which is crazy because they're both very kind of, um, rare occurrences. Yeah. Um, but just everything, I mean, she and I are, I think we're wired <laughs> very similarly. I mean, we joke a lot that we could be like sisters, but, um, um, our brains are very similar, which was helpful for me to have somebody to connect with on that level. For and, sure. and honestly, the Lord was so good that 
I had already had probably two or three friends that had lost babies um, that up until we had her diagnosis, I kind of was like, oh, it's so sad for them, but mm-hmm. it's never going to happen to me kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this respect for them, you know, and understood that they went through something, but I didn't know them when they were going through it. So that's also a bit different. It was kind of after the fact. Yeah. Um, but it was just really incredible to have women that had experienced a similar loss because honestly, a, a a child losses like none other. I mean, I've, I've lost family and, you know, have gone through obviously my disease and, you know, I've, I've definitely been through my fair of my fair share of trials, but this was like nothing I could have ever imagined. Um, and her book for me, because like I said, I am a type A and a planner. It was good for me as hard as it was, but it was good for me to read all of those things Mm. that I didn't expect. So, you know, um, I mean, without going into too much detail, because you should read her book. Um, but I've also, and I've also read about or written about my experiences, but, um, just the things, the things that you don't think about, like the, the having to hand your child over to the nurses, you know, and say your final goodbyes. Um, the birth process of not, you know, of, of knowing that they're likely not going to make it. And, um, even how to, she had, you know, young kids as well. And we had Asher who was three at the time and how to kind of handle that situation. And, um, you know, for her, for me, it was encouraging to read her book and read about how she relied on her faith and then the Lord, but also really questioned it. Um, and really went through periods of anger and, Mm -hmm. you know, of doubt. And, um, I think it's so hard sometimes when you hear people speak that just are like, you know, I never doubted and I never was mad. Mm -hmm. And I, because it's for me, I'm like, that's just not, you're like, are you real? Yeah. (laughs) Um, and then, and then it sets this kind of unachievable standard Mm -hmm. that you're like, Oh, well, if I'm doubting or if, you know, I'm angry and then I'm not, you know, I'm not doing the right thing. And Mm -hmm. so just that confirmation like this is okay. And then I, I know the one part that really stuck out the most to me was, um, when she wrote about having to go to the cemetery while she was still pregnant, um, mm. or it might've been right after, mm-hmm. I think, um, and pick out, pick out, you know, a plot and mm-hmm. pick out a gravestone. And, and that's stuff that I have never had to do for anybody. I still have, you know, my parents alive. And, um, and so I've never, you know, that was something that I don't think I would have ever even thought about. And it would have really hit me like from left field if, if I wouldn't have read it, honestly. And yeah. then it would have been one more thing that just like, brought me down to my knees. And, um, so it was good to just, even though obviously everybody's experience are different, you know, it was just good to kind of know to expect a few things. Uh Um, and just to be like, okay, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And, you know, I may deal with it differently, but at least that I know that it's coming. Um, and so yeah, that with all kinds of things in our lives, like when we look at someone and being like, okay, you've been before here, whether it would be cancer or losing a child or losing a husband, you know, like to look at those people and be like, okay, I want to know your story and I want to hear your story because I don't know what this looks like. Like I've never done this before, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's, I think community and having people that you can connect with is huge. I mean, some of my closest friends now are women who have lost babies. Um, and you know, whether they were friends from before or friends that I met afterwards, um, which it, it, it's an, it's just so, heartbreaking how many women and especially honestly how many women of faith have lost babies um and you know I mean I know that it's kind of that similar thing of my husband always says like when you're about to buy a car you see that same car on the road like a billion times all of a sudden Um, 
yeah. And then, so obviously I've put myself out there in my story. And so these people have come into my life for that reason, but, mm-hmm. um, it's just been incredible. And, and to be honest, I mean, some of the friends that we had from before we lost Ayla, we don't really connect with that much anymore and it's not anything against them and it's not, you know, they didn't do anything wrong or anything like that. It just has been harder to have that deep connection and relationship with them since then because we just really kind of focused on a very small group of people that we felt safe with. And, um, I mean, there was a good, it was a good year, honestly. Um, that I didn't really want to see anybody, that <laughs> um, yeah. there were like a couple safe people that I wanted to be around and anybody else, either it was too many triggers or yeah. they just didn't get it. And it wasn't their fault that they didn't get it, but I just couldn't be around them because they didn't get it. For sure. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, it, the, the, that book was amazing. And, and my relationship with her has been um, incredible. And we're still, you know, we still see each other all the time now and have become really great friends and um, a couple other women, you know, along the way. And then even, there's been a couple women um, that have been put into my life over the last year or so that have just experienced um, child loss now. And to look back and see the way that they came into my life and be like, oh my goodness, I, you know, we had no idea back then that my story would even affect you. Sure. And now I've been able to you know, really be there for them. And um, so that's been pretty amazing as well. So That's, that's, that's wonderful. I, can, I just know that there are people listening – um, that have walked in this road in some form or fashion yeah. that are just nodding their head like, yes, yes, yeah, yes, I get yeah. it. Totally. Um, yeah. Okay, so I always ask my guests two questions, but I have one more question for you before we okay. get to the questions I always ask them. One okay. more question <laughs> to finish out this. Looking back on even the last two years or the last or the first six months after um, your loss, what would you say was um, one of the best things that someone in your life did? And what was one of the, and I don't want to say worse, but one of the hardest um, things like as as women as we're looking as we're looking around to support our friends who are grieving, what helps you the most and what wasn't actually help at all? Oh gosh, <laughs> there's so many. I didn't even for prep that. you for this one. No, well, there's so many for that. There's a list that goes around online actually about grieving moms and like ten things not to say to them, and I can nod my head to all of them. And it's <laughs> well-meaning people, you know. Um, I would say some of the comments that people said that were trying to be helpful, like, oh, you're young, you can have more kids or, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I mean, some even really close family members that were kind of in not so many words were like, when are you going to be okay? Mm. (laughs) Um, you know, or the pressure that I felt to attend baby showers or to, you know, be happy for people that were in my life that were also expecting and kind of this, the pressure, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is to not have expectations. That's for, good, yeah. Because it, there's there's no right way to grieve and there's no timeline and everybody does it differently. And I, I think there's a lot of people that do want to know the answers, you know, like, and I wanted to. I'm like, when am I going to be okay? Yeah. Uh, when uh-huh. am I going to be able to go through a day without crying? When am I going to, you know, when, yeah, when will I be okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of people put expectations on you of like, oh, it's been a couple months. You should be okay by right. now. Or yeah. um, even when I announced my pregnancy with Easton, it was actually a really hard day for me because I waited. I mean, we waited for like three months to announce it and made sure that, you know, everything was okay. And um, and also just because I kind of just wanted to be in it myself for a little while. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I remember the comments were kind of hard of just, you know, like hearing congratulations was kind of hard for me because I was still grieving. I was also rejoicing for this, but it was hard that everybody else seemed to have moved past mm-hmm. Ayla and was kind yeah. of you know moving on. So that was tough. Um, but I would say that the best thing, honestly, is just 
to say, I'm sorry, you know, is there anything I can do for you? Um, a hug, like Mm -hmm. don't try to have the answers. Don't try to say, Oh, you know, it's must be God's purpose Mm -hmm. for her because Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, or like, Oh, think about how many lives, you know, she's going to touch now that she's up in heaven or God needed Mm -hmm. her in heaven. Those types of things. I'm like, no, don't, I don't, I don't Mm want to hear that right now. Maybe that's the case, but all I want is for my little girl to be here with me. And you know, those things as, as much as they're just trying to comfort you, they, they really hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I read uh, Mary Beth Chapman's book and I can't think of the name of it right now. Um, but she lost a child right? and she talked about, um, just, and, and I'm sure that Angie mentioned this too, but Mary Beth talked about like just her thoughts of like going, why, like, mm-hmm. why does it have to be our family to do mm-hmm. this? I want, I don't care if this is, I want my daughter back. Yes. Like that's all I want. Yes. I don't care about anything else except for <laughs> I want my daughter back. Um, and it yeah. made me even realize like as someone who hasn't walked through that, that I'm sure that I will, you know, the odds are, are pretty high that one of my friends right. will lose somebody. Right. May right. that be a husband or a mom or a friend or something. And just, it made me realize, just remember, like, whatever, like, truths about God's word that I do stand on and believe, th- those just aren't, they're not, like, the first thing that you throw out no. of someone, right? No. You know? And no. so I think that really helped me as, like, just be like, okay, be a friend to this person and really yeah. just sit and be like, this sucks. Yeah. This is, like, yeah. the worst thing ever. Totally. That's I hate exactly this. what you need. <laughs> I hate that, you yeah. know, yeah. No, yeah, that's exactly what you need. Yeah, it's really hard when... Yeah, when scripture's thrown at you or, mm-hmm. you know, when somebody else's story's thrown at me, it's that, I mean, I can echo that sentiment. It's, I've come to a place now where I can look at my diseases and be grateful for it because it's helped, you know, so many millions sure, of people. And sure. yeah. so I've, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, and I've, you know, even gone so far to say like, I, I'm actually great, grateful that I have it because mm-hmm. I wouldn't be doing this. Um, and there is a redemptive piece to that. Um, but with her and, you know, I mean, it sounds terrible, but I'm like, Help help people in another way. Yeah, I know. Yeah, why? <laughs> give me, why give me my daughter and help them some other way. Yeah. You know, use some other medium to do it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of that. I feel like that's kind of going to always be, you know, my my sentiment. And and I think one other thing is um, it's been what's been hard. And I've talked to quite a few moms that have had babies after loss, and um, that all agree is don't call the next baby a redemption because. Mm that next baby's not payment for the one that I lost. You know, it's, it's an incredible gift and a miracle, but I don't, I don't see redemption for losing her on this side of heaven (laughs) Um, because there's nothing that can make it worth it. You know, there's nothing that, that makes losing her worth, worth it. Um, But I will see that obviously at some point. Like Easton's not like this, like makeup for, yeah, yeah. Not at all. And people, I think, assume that. Like, I even had one person that, you know, more of a, a, a acquaintance, but was just like, how are you doing after I announced that I was pregnant with Easton? And I was like, yeah, it's still hard. And she's like, oh, I didn't realize that it would, that it's still hard. I thought everything was okay now that you're pregnant again. And I'm like, no, it's not, you know, I like, I still lost a child. Yeah. And I, and it's not, you know, I mean, it's not at their fault. It's just, it's, yeah. I think a lot of people do see it as this, like, once you have another baby, then it just is all better. And yeah, there's nothing that changes. I mean, we still miss her every bit as much. Um, mm-hmm. and we still wish she was here every bit as much. And, you know, obviously now we want Easton here too. We just want, I want all of my all kids. of them, all three of them. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for yeah. being vulnerable about that. Um, I'm sure that it's not an easy thing to talk about. So yeah. thank you for uh, 
sharing that with me. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, Here's what I always ask my guests. I ask yeah. them two things. Number one, what are you reading? And number two, what are three things that you're loving that you have to tell your girlfriends about? So you pick where you want to start. <laughs> okay. So I'm a terrible reader. Awful. Awful. Um, right, now, right now I'm currently reading my manuscript. <laughs> well, that's like necessity. I was going to say like a million times. So I really don't have time to read much else because it's going, we're going through editing. Um, I was reading for the love Jen's book. Yes. Um, I've gotten through like chapter five and then had to stop because I don't have any more brain power to read. And right. I fall asleep every time I read it because I also have a five-month-old that has made me sleep deprived. Exactly. So, um, and then I'm reading like parenting books because, you know, like sleep parenting That's books. That's what we I do, love, yes. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, in terms of like light reading, that is actually something that will fill me up. I'm not doing much None. of that at the well, moment. When does your book come out? We didn't, I didn't even ask you that. When It next doesn't book, come but... out until September. Okay. September. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. September. So, and it's a, um, we haven't quite announced everything about it, but I can say that it's a celebrations book. So there's, you know, you want to say something right here on the happy hour that hasn't been said. <laughs> well, I'm that's like... what I'm saying. Nobody's heard that it's, it's a celebrations kind of holiday book. There's... Oh, I love this. this. This is like breaking news. Yeah, it is breaking news just for you. And okay. So celebration holidays around yeah. September. That's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, um, it's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm actually very, very excited about oh, this book. Awesome. I think it's one of my best yet. Yay. Yeah. Okay. So what are three things you're loving? Oh gosh. Three things that I'm loving. Sleep. Sleep. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, yeah, I think I'm like enjoying just the small things right now. I um, have really, for some reason, started liking tea at night, just like to relax me. Um, I've really enjoyed my time of going to get a manicure. Usually it was like more of a thing where I just would go in and do it and I hated it because I needed to have them look nice or something. Now I'm just like, I'm going to take this 30 minutes (laughs) and I, with no kids and I am going to enjoy every second of it. It's the small things for real. It is. It is. Um, and chocolate because I just always love chocolate. Are you, do, do you drink a tea, like a sleep, the sleepy time tea or something? Right now, I've actually been drinking um, the mother's milk tea because I'm oh, trying yes. to pump extra. And so uh-huh. I actually, my first cup of it, I was like, I don't like this. It kind of tastes like licorice. But now it's kind of the soothing thing that I look forward to every night. So that's what I've been drinking lately. Otherwise, I'm, I'm typically like a mint tea type oh. of a girl. But I've heard that that can reduce milk production. Milk. I don't, yeah, so I've, I've given that one up. But. I don't drink tea that often, but one time I thought I was making my sleepy time tea and I was uh, actually making smooth move. Have you ever oh, taken no, that? Oh, no. I, I can, I'm guessing by the sound of it that it's it, like some yeah, sort of a it, it is. Uh huh. And let me tell you, it just if you drink smooth move tea at night, you need to not go anywhere in the morning. That's all I have to say about that. Oh, no. Oh, that's terrible. Um, when I first terrible. went off coffee, I went on to tea and I thought that I was drinking like caffeinated black tea for the first month, but I ended up that I was drinking decaf for the whole first month. Oh gosh, that you just so jumped in. I did, I did, but I guess my brain thought that I was because I just thought the box was caffeinated. Yeah. So uh-huh. it's like, oh this is good. It's giving me just enough, you know, but <laughs> so yeah, read those labels carefully. That's exactly right. Uh okay. And um tea. I had another guest that loves tea. I've actually oh. had two other guests that love tea. That's so funny. I need to drink. I just like iced tea from Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> unsweet iced tea oh, is what unsweet. I love. I was going to say, is that sweet tea? Oh, yeah. no. I don't, I don't drink sweet tea. Even though I, I live in Texas, which is the South, you know, um, I don't, I've never liked sweet tea. It's too sweet for me. Yeah. It's very sweet. I've only had it, I think, once. And it was, it, it was kind of makes you like, you get that little thing behind your jaw where you're like, yes. ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But some people yes, love it. 
tired for the rest of the day. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, Danielle, I look forward to seeing you at IF. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. I, I went back and forth a billion times about going, honestly, because I've got so much going on, but I can't miss it. I'm so. glad you're coming. And so yeah, I will see too. you there. And thank you for coming on the happy hour. Yeah, thank you for having me. So much fun. Okay, thanks. Guys, wasn't that just a fabulous chat with Danielle? I loved hearing about how she took matters into her own hands and she refused to let a diagnosis define her in a negative way. And her grace in the face of heartache with losing her daughter was so inspiring. Thank you so much, Danielle, for sharing your story with us. As usual, any books that we talked about on the happy hour, you're going to be able to find at jamieivy.com slash happyhourbooks. Also, if there's any links that we listed, you're going to be able to find those over at jamieivy.com as well. I want to thank another one of our sponsors, Prep Dish. You guys are loving Prep Dish, and I just want to thank them because they're continuing to support the happy hour. Prep Dish is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. So every week, you're going to receive an email. It's going to contain a few things. It's going to contain a grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. So then, these meals are also healthy. Did I mention that? There's a paleo option, if that's what you're looking for. There's a gluten-free option. They can even be kind of fabricated to fit the whole 30 because I know a lot of you are doing that what you're going to do is you're going to take about two to three hours and meal prep you can do this on a Sunday after church you can do this on a Monday after work whatever you want to do two to three hours of meal prep and then you have your meals ready to go for the rest of the week and guys I cannot tell you what a lifesaver this is but not only is it a lifesaver but they're giving you delicious meals we're not talking like gluten-free mac and cheese here we're talking smoky paprika chicken legs with roasted carrots parsnips and fennel or turkey and zucchini lasagna guys those are good meals that they're helping you prepare for your family allison who's the head of prep dish and she's a chef she's offering you listeners a special rate of four dollars for the first month guys you're basically going to get a dollar a week to do your meal plans you cannot beat that go to prepdish.com slash happy hour prepdish.com slash happy hour it's good for a four dollar trial so it's only a dollar meal plan. You got it. Thanks, Prep Dish. All right, guys. Remember, I'd love to hear from you. Find me on my website, jamieivy.com. Find me on Instagram. It's at jamieivy. Over on Twitter, I'm at jamie underscore ivy. Um, today's show is edited by Knox McCoy, and the music is from Jason Poe. Next week, my guest is Liz Bohannon. She's the founder of Seiko Designs, and we chatted about how she ended up in Uganda with nowhere to live and her time on one of my family's favorite TV shows, Shark Tank. Guys, I would be a mess if I didn't mention this to you guys. You guys did something amazing this week. I told y'all that we were going to have a live happy hour in my backyard with my husband cooking pork tacos. And you guys showed up and told me that you're really excited about this. I put tickets on sale Monday. 50 tickets gone in under three hours. So I thought I can have more of you at my house. And so on Tuesday at 7 a.m., more tickets. 50 tickets sold out in like 12 minutes. Guys, you guys are amazing, and you love the happy hour, and I love that you love the happy hour. So 100 of you are coming to my house to hang out with some of my friends and cook, eat my food that my husband made. I'm so excited. Guys, I want you to tweet me. Use the hashtag, TheHappyHourLive, and tell me where you're coming from. It's going to be a super fun party. Now, if you're listening and you're like, wah, wah, I missed out. No worries, guys. We're going to do this again, I promise. All right, friends, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend and have a happy hour with a friend. I'll see you next week with Liz Bohannon.